Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit, the horror movie review podcast for horror fans and fanatics alike. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, delivering horror movie reviews and discussions of both classic and current films every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for your twisted pleasure. Please be aware that episodes may include spoilers, and as always, I hope you enjoy. For today's episode of Daily Horror Habit, returning friend of the show Bernie and I continue our series review of the Saw franchise with the first Jigsaw Less entry, 2007's Saw 4. Currently streaming on HBO Max, Darren Lynn Boseman returned to direct Saw 4 and the first Saw entry to not be written by Lee Winnell as Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan wrote the screenplay. Picking up after the events of Saw 3, which concluded with Trap Mastermind Jigsaw's own death, the series now picks up with Detective Rig, played by Lyric Bent, who finds himself in the limelight of a new set of killer games that extend beyond Jigsaw's grave, which calls into question once again, who's pulling the strings of the deceased mastermind and what their motivation is, bringing new and deadlier secrets to light. So without further ado, here's our conversation of Saw 4. Bernie, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, appreciate you having me back on, man. This is uh, this is definitely, I think, an inflection point that we've hit in the Saw franchise. It definitely kind of like leaves things up in the air a little bit, right? Obviously, they would go on to make many more of these films, but I was intrigued to see how they would be able to incorporate this without Jigsaw. And really, I mean, my first fear is that, oh, it's obviously going to be a copycat, but we wouldn't have more Tobin Bell. I kind of assumed that they would go the route where it's a lot of flashbacks, but I was really pleasantly surprised with how much they did flesh out of his backstory and how many scenes we actually got with Tobin Bell, of course, reprising the role of uh, John Kramer, AKA Jigsaw. So for you, I guess, what do you think kind of of Saw 4 overall? I know that's a broad question, but I feel like with these films, it's just interesting to see how they kind of pick and choose what elements they build off of and mm-hmm. maybe like which characters they decided to focus on and highlight, right? Because other than Jigsaw, there's a couple of recurring characters, but who they decide to really focus on or give the true uh, sort of protagonist role to in these, mm-hmm. it's pretty unpredictable in a lot of ways. And this is an element that I think um, I think I was pleasantly surprised by. So I'm curious, what did you think of it overall? So, I mean, you know, pros of this movie, I think... The movie does a really good job of, as you kind of alluded, giving that backstory to to, to Jigsaw uh, and to give us a little bit more, I don't know if acting range is the right way of putting it for Tobin Bell, but you see a little bit more intimately of like what went wrong, what was the genesis of him becoming maybe not necessarily this crazed killer, but like unleashing that craziness onto victims and things like that, right? Um, But I do think that you saw for folks that didn't see the third movie, there's probably a couple of scenes that happen where you're just like, I have no fucking idea what the reason for that being there nor who those characters were. Uh, And there definitely were some loose ends that I think the, the new writers tried to tie up as they continued this, this franchise on, which pardon me, or correct me if I'm wrong rather, but wasn't there supposed to be three movies and then they decided to make a fourth movie during the, the post-production of the third movie or something akin to that, right? Yeah. I think that that was the original idea in that the first three films are kind of their own self-contained trilogy. And then (laughs) it became the thing where it's like, okay, this series is, too big to uh, to kind of abandon, right? Just based on, I mean, if you think about Saw 4, again, a $10 million budget, it's less than $20 million, and it would go on 
in the box office to make, I mean, like $140 million. Like, you can't say, like, I think we're going to move on from Saw when you're kind of, like, putting up these numbers that, for the time period, it's like, oh, horror's hot again in a lot of ways. And it's like, we can have series that are basically on, like, a yearly rotation or every other year at this point, and mm-hmm. there's still a hunger for it. And I think that's an element of Saw that I'm finding is really interesting and obviously not being super, maybe aware i don't know if aware is the right way to put it but like when these were coming out i wasn't really paying attention to them because Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily my type of movie but going back and seeing just how successful they were it's one of those things where it's like yeah of course nobody was saying hey we should maybe stop making these because say what you will about them after the original trilogy in terms of quality these movies are still making a stupid amount of money and that's the only way to put it and that box office figure that i read was before international market. I think it was just the domestic box office. And then that's before DVD sales, the Blu-ray sales, whatever. And so it just kind of shows, yeah, I, I get why these stu- uh, kind of hung around for as long as they did. Um, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to see kind of how the writers and the directors themselves are kind of sort of, it feels at times like they're trying to pick up the pieces of the previous film without yes. a real blueprint. I think the first two films or so they had a very clear-cut blueprint and then three and four i think i have found that they are it feels like they're kind of just like audibling the ball to somebody and it's just like hey man it's coming to you and you've got this finite time period where you're gonna have to not only connect it to the other films but also you need to kind of like adhere to the saw aesthetic in a lot of ways which i think is why over the course of the four films stylistically or maybe aesthetically we haven't seen a great deviation right they all kind of look exactly the same which before we uh, were recording you and i were kind of touching base on the fact that we really appreciate the flashbacks that they have to the previous Mm -hmm. films and sort of the recap which sometimes in movies i find that that's kind of just like a director filling up time and make ends like padding but (laughs) i find that with these films and especially with the more the stories become uh, interwoven into one another and tying into their twists and whatnot. I really need that because there's definitely moments of two, three, and four that I completely just forgot which film they actually occurred in. And right. to your point, saying like, if you hadn't been watching these movies every year, yeah, you could still enjoy it for what it kind of is, but mm-hmm. you're not going to pick up on all of the sort of connections, obviously, because you haven't been caught up on it. But it's not even just that it's a matter of like, oh, I don't remember it happening. It's more like, I don't remember the sort of sequential order that it occurred in. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I mean, to an extent you, you wouldn't need to have seen the third and fourth one in a particular order, I guess, um, because they do happen concurrently. Right. Yeah. I, I think that is, is definitely something that detracts from how this movie could have as good as this movie could have been overall. But to answer your first question, I mean, for the fourth movie in this type of a series, especially with some of the other uh, horror franchises out there, this isn't nearly as bad as some of the other ones are. I wouldn't say that this is the best uh, fourth movie in a franchise either. Um, But again, for what it's supposed to do and for the difficult situation or the the challenging situation rather that I think the writers were put in, this isn't half bad of a of film. And again, as we go along the story, um, I think there were some interesting kind of uh, 
Easter eggs that were dropped off that are going to start to pay dividends either at the end of this movie or uh, as we kind of begin to move down the, the, the movie series itself. Yeah, I think also like talking about quality and like how successful a movie is, it's all relative to the Saw franchise, right? I mean, that's kind of like when you're talking about a half-decent movie, it's a half-decent Saw movie, right? And I think that that is what really kind of caught me off guard in terms of like how much shit I've heard in terms of like how much the series quality kind of like takes a nosedive, how steep that is, and that trajectory comes up very quickly. But I thought this movie was similar to three in a lot of ways in that it feels like it has a much more intricate story in terms of like it weaving into the greater jigsaw, uh, jigsaw verse, if you will. But Mm -hmm. it also had the same sort of quality of like nasty traps. And then at the same time, it was doing something different than the previous film. And that was something about three that I really liked, right? It's this idea that it's more about Amanda's story and about how she was unable really to win her own game, which she didn't even realize she was a part of. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was really impressed that they kind of took a character that had been on the, the kind of like the warm up bench. They'd just been riding the bench for saw two and three, and they decided Mm -hmm. to make them the focus, which was detective rig which I think was really interesting because he's a character that has only ever been in like a couple of scenes or a couple of moments, but Mm -hmm. there's that familiarity, right? It's this idea that, Hey, we're going to bring this guy up to the majors basically. And he is a blank slate in a lot of ways, right? I mean, there's nothing about him that we knew previously that made us necessarily invested in him more than, Oh, he works with detective Matthews. He works with uh, Carrie and whatnot. And so, I really like the decision to have him be the protagonist and then they formulate all the traps and all of the victims around that, right? This time it's not, again, it's not random people. It's people that are for the most part criminals, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just like, oh, it's somebody that was depressed and they got addicted to drugs and I'm gonna teach them a lesson. It was like, oh no, this is a rapist. This is a uh, an abu- a child abuser and things like that. But not only the fact that like they're victims that deserve it it's this idea that also it's tied intrinsically to him these are people that he would if he was not investigating them they are criminals and thus he is in a position of law enforcement so he would be inclined to want to target them or to um uh to prosecute them eventually which we see jigsaw used to manipulate them which i found to be well again like he's not that compelling of a character his he's fine for in terms of a performance i just like how it doesn't feel as random as i assumed it would be you know my kind of fear with moving forwards is that this is going to very quickly devolve into a like a gore highlight reel if you will this idea that it's just going to be gory traps playing one after another and there's no real narrative or no real logical element that ties all these moments together and even if, the, if even if those moments may even if what's tying them together is maybe not the best developed or written all that well or edited all that well or cast all that well, at least it has some structure to it. No, absolutely. And I think the interesting thing that I, I thought of as you were saying that, so we'd mentioned that these movies typically have layers to them. Sometimes that we are very clearly seeing sometimes ones that aren't necessarily that relevant or Uh, that easily identifiable, I guess. What I was just thinking is that in the second movie, you have a scenario where Jigsaw is essentially testing 
uh, Detective Matthews because he was planting evidence. In this movie, you have whoever is Jigsaw. I mean, it is in theory Tobin Bell's character, right? But at the very beginning, a tape comes out of his whatever that was, his liver or whatnot, right? Stomach. Maybe not. Stomach, thank you. Yeah. Clearly know my anatomy. Uh, but <laughs> um, but yeah, they pull that out. So like, we know he's dead. And yet somehow, like either when he was on his deathbed or whatnot, he's putting Rig through this. And now he's essentially incriminating Rig because he mentions one of the uh, audio recordings uh, while Rig is going through this process says, you know, be on the lookout because all of this is documented. Uh, you know, not not verbatim, obviously, but like to some extent, all of this is going to be documented. Your face is going to be on camera. Like you have to do this in a certain amount. You're racing against the police. And so although like it just it creates this full circle in which one is supposed to be essentially creating a solution for someone to fight, to right their wrongs. And another one is potentially placing the blame of wrongs that aren't even on this person. It's incriminating an innocent person. And I like the, I don't know, the contrast of like Tobin Bell's Jigsaw and who we're about to see is the new technically Jigsaw. Um, so it's just, I don't know, that was, I don't know if that was just a, a silly point to make or not, but like that was no, yeah. something that I thought of that's just a, a very interesting contrast between like the second and fourth film, just stylistically what we're seeing is going on. Yeah, I think again, there's like just enough narrative deviations between each film that so far at least they have provided a structure to all of the f insanity that occurs on screen in a mm. way that it it portrays it as maybe a more intricate mystery than it ends up actually being necessarily yeah. all the time but at the same time i still think i can really and we both really appreciate that structure in terms of just how they choose to maneuver this twisted gory world that i don't know it hasn't felt overly i guess it, it it definitely has an exploitative nature to it, but it doesn't feel like it has lived up to the sort of um, the notoriety to a certain extent that I have heard associated with the later sequels. This idea that it's kind of just like, again, not to revise that term, but like torture porny. In this case, like, yeah, it's it's gross and disturbing, and disgusting, but it doesn't feel aimless. It feels like they at least have an idea of what they are trying to execute on. And while it doesn't necessarily always succeed to meet that uh, in terms of like quality and whatnot. I still think that it provides enough of sort of a justification for what is happening uh, to a certain degree. Again, not always successful, but I think in terms of my expectations going in, it holds up a lot better in that regard than uh, I was anticipating. But I really like how the movie opens. I mean, it opens with that really great shot of uh, the recurring detective, Mark Hoffman, who's played by Costas Mandalore. And him just standing over after we have just watched Jigsaw's own autopsy, which is just as, if not more graphic than his backyard back alley brain surgery that he had in Saw 3, which I appreciate. And I think that was another scene that the MPAA couldn't really make them edit because they were like, well, you can watch surgery on TV, so you can watch this in our movie and not slap us with an NC-17 rating, which I can appreciate. But I just love that it really does speak to this idea that Jigsaw is this re like a true mastermind. This idea that he can be lying on a slab all cut to pieces 
And yet this detective is listening to a pre-recorded tape of him that basically is like taunting him from the grave. And he's saying essentially like the games have just begun, like my work will continue, which I really love. And again, it's one of those things where when you talk about iconic horror figures within the medium, he's one that always stands out to me. And again, you, we this is we don't have to talk about quality in terms of the entire series, but he is a character that just feels iconic. And that's Tobin Bell's performance again. I mean, this is uh, all his... Uh, appearances in this film are flashbacks or they're just pre-recorded tapes of his and yet his presence and of course we're under the assumption that hey he has an accomplice but his presence is never feels as if it is uh to the wayside or that he's been replaced which i think is important right because then you kind of get i mean i don't know if you've seen uh friday the 13th part five but that's one of those films where it's like they decide oh we'll get rid of the killer and we'll replace it with something else but for me, that that's an instance where it's like, yeah, we feel his absence, Jason's absence throughout the entire film. I never felt that way for Saw 4. Did you feel that way? As if we were missing Tobin Bell, as if we were missing uh, Jigsaw, even though we get those flashbacks? No, well, so I think that's the thing, right? I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And if I remember correctly, it was his mom, right? Is that what Friday mm -hmm. is? Yeah. 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 Um, my brain isn't completely gone. Um, but, uh, um, but so with this movie, I think one, the fact that obviously we have a decent amount of, of flashback, but two, it's you're we're handing the baton off. You could still see his hand handing the baton, right? Like, obviously, it's not centered necessarily around uh, Tobin Bell anymore, um, but I think that they do a good enough job to where, like, in this next movie that comes up, there is a very clear and concise difference between the two of them. And now you'll see, again, stylistically, how they kill differently, if that makes sense. Maybe not kill, but how they operate, I guess, differently. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the cool thing about this particular movie was that you start to feel bad for somebody that you, I think we've all loved to hate. And it's very, it's very weird to, it's like, I don't know when you watched game of Thrones and there were certain characters that you knew that you should hate. And yet you still like weirdly loved them. Just like Cersei. I hated her to death, but like she was a badass character, but her was like what she did obviously like deserved zero respect or love whatsoever. <laughs> um, so like, that's what I just really, really enjoyed about this is how they can create a story arc where it, it's not like it's, it's a very feasible story that comes through. And then once you see the fact that like his uh, unborn son was essentially killed by a drug dealer uh, or a drug addict rather, and then he got cancer and then he tried to kill himself. It's like, Okay, this guy obviously is playing against the the deck. It doesn't excuse anything that he did, but like you can also start to see uh, like a you you have a human side of you that understands like that much trauma and pain. Probably nothing positive is going to come from it. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I think that that is something that they definitely put a much greater focus on in terms of like crafting some sort of sympathy for John Kramer, mm -hmm. who then becomes Jigsaw, obviously. And I think that, well, yeah, just because you make him sympathetic to a certain extent is an excuse or justify like what he's done over the course of the four films and for the next four or five films to come after this. 
it still humanizes him in a way, and that's an element that you can oh that you always have to do for a villain. I find that if it's just somebody that's pure evil, like that works sometimes, but that it almost becomes slapsticky after a while, or you inevitably have to make them like indestructible at that point. Like Michael Myers in Halloween, right? He is indestructible, so yes, he is the embodiment of evil. That evil can never die. But when they portray, and I guess with the Saw movies, it's like, well, could they make all these traps? Could they get all this stuff together? It's like, you got to take all that with a grain of salt, your suspension of disbelief. But I think in portraying a very grounded world that operates by the sort of laws of nature to a certain extent, unless you want to, again, try to dive into like, how does he get this trap there? How does he make all these traps? That type of stuff. Um, By humanizing the antagonist, it just, it makes it seem like it is... It is a natural progression for this character to the point where it's like, well, yeah, he, what else would he be doing if he had to suffer all of these things? And I think that giving the reason why is really important when you have like a human antagonist because there's no reveal. It's not like you want to see what's under the mask because we already know his identity. We've already seen him from the first movie. So there's no real mystery in regards to Jigsaw, like his identity. But it's more about like uncovering the mystery of his past and understanding why he's doing these things. And I'm not saying it's like high fiction or anything, but again, I can appreciate that. And I think the combination of Tobin Bell, but also Betsy Russell as his uh, ex-wife, Jill Tuck, who plays a much bigger role in this film. She was briefly in Saw 3, I believe, when they're looking through like a video camera or something, they show a flashback of just what she looks like. But we didn't really get to know anything about her. And in this movie, we learn a great deal about her and how important she was at in no fault of her own to the birth of Jigsaw, right? Because that was Jigsaw's first victim was that drug addict Cecil who frequented the clinic that Jigsaw helped open for her because she was a doctor or she is a doctor. And it became this thing where, oh, this drug addict basically hit her with the door when she was pregnant and caused her to lose her child. And then John Kramer was just like, well, you can't teach these people. Or he said something to that effect where he's like, they need to be punished basically. And so, we get to see him in action in his first trap where he basically makes this guy push his face through a series of knives, which would then mm-hmm. event- obviously shred his face, but then it would free him from his restraints. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that moment is really great at capturing two things. This idea that Jigsaw is a, a brutal psycho who's out of his mind, but also yep. he doesn't lie. Jigsaw mm-hmm. doesn't lie because he says that if you do this, you'll be free. And Cecil is free after he shreds his face through these knives. But then he decides, oh, Cecil decides, oh, I'm going to kill you. And then when he tries to attack Jigsaw, he sidesteps him and that guy falls into a barbed wire pit and basically writhes around until he dies from bleeding to death, which I think just captures everything you need to know about Jigsaw. And that's why, to your point, this idea that, oh, some people might not have seen the previous films. Really, this would be the perfect introduction, I think, in some ways to catching people up. You know what I mean? Like if there was a point to jump into the film series, mm-hmm. at least this is based on my knowledge so far, Every there's no part of this movie that leaves you asking questions about like, what is Jigsaw about? Or what is his backstory? Because in a lot of ways, this isn't a Jigsaw origin story in mm-hmm. a way that I think does a good job of not be, because this movie could have very easily been two hours long in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like there could have been so much fluff in terms of re, uh, catching people up on Saw one through three up until this point. But if anything, I find that this is a pretty good introduction to Saw, even if it's not, but by no means is it one of the strongest. I think that this is a film that it's like, oh, well, if you are going to jump into this, you're caught up enough that when it might 
compel you to go back and rewatch the first three. And then by the time chances are you rewatch those, there's a fifth and sixth and seventh and so forth. I think it definitely does that more so than the third one, just because again, you get more of a backstory on Tobin Bell, right? Or excuse me, Jigsaw. Um, I would be curious though, you know, obviously I think it's safe to say that out of all the, um, out of all the, sh- the movies so far, this probably has the most underwhelming death scenes. Is that accurate? Yeah, for sure. What, was there a particular death that did stand out for you within this? Um, there, I think the one that really freaks me out that is super uncomfortable is probably the hotel one dealing with the rapist just because that scene is so the way the it has very much like a seven vibe to it just the way that they capture this room and how it's filled with photos of him doing what he does but then it's like flooded with red with neon red lights and then basically he has to like get chained up and then he has to blind himself otherwise he'll get dismembered from this kind of like uh, medieval torture trap type thing and that entire sequence just skeeves me out so much but I think that's an important distinction though to make, right? It's not really the intricacy of that trap and it's not that it's necessarily, I guess maybe it's not that all complex of a trap. You know what I mean? Like there's been a certain level of complexity to some of these. Um, it the, Just the way that that scene is captured skeeves me out and the subject matter skeeves me out. So maybe that's more just like my visceral reaction to that rather than it being necessarily uh, a creative trap or a memorable death, right? Because it's, it is one of those things, though, where with this film, when you're talking about, like, a piece of shit rapist like this guy, when he gets ripped to pieces, you're like, oh, that's a pretty satisfying conclusion of that guy's story. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where it's there is a certain level of, like, satisfaction in terms of this realm of the world where it's like, oh, finally, somebody that was deserving got what they deserved. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, there are really not any deaths that stand out amongst the series. What about you? What is one that maybe stands out to you? Because I'm really struggling to think of one. I just thought of one that has some comedic uh, comedic payoff to it, but I'll save that for a, in a little bit. I'm interested to hear which one of yours is comedic payoff and if it's the <laughs> one that I'm about to mention, which is Donnie Wahlberg. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, ice, the ice head smash. Holy shit. Gallagher that... with blocks of ice. <laughs> that was very... Yeah, that was an interesting one. I think, to your point, there's going to be one that's maybe a little bit even more gnarlier that comes up in the next movie. Um, but yeah, for just that was a perfect ending, I think, for Donnie Wahlberg's character, and that it was so useless for him to be there because he says like seven words, and like three of them are "Please don't, please don't kill me" or something. Or that's four words. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> not, not all that memorable if we're struggling and he's got seven words. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that he wanted to come back to this movie. I don't know if his character was necessary. Maybe he could have done like flashback kind of things instead of that scene. Because again, I we it starts to stretch the realm of, of, of like what is and isn't possible when a guy who was a po- police officer was like, kept tortured for six months and then we find out who actually did it it just i don't know it just it, that part seemed a little bit ridiculous to me uh, again we've mentioned this in previous movies like there is a certain understanding that like there is 
the component to this is this is very unrealistic that this could happen right right uh, but when some of this stuff starts to happen um it just it it brings it from like a scary movie to more of like this is kind of ridiculous you know what i mean <laughs> right yeah i think um for starters i think donnie Wahlberg's inclusion is completely pointless in a lot of ways like there's no indication that him and rig have this strong relationship outside of work or even in work right if anything i thought they should have replaced uh donnie Wahlberg with or detective matthews with carrie right because yes. carrie and rig had a much stronger bond it seemed at work or so or just a more familiar working relationship that he would be obsessed with trying to find her whereas i mean that's the whole thing of this movie right is that and it is a uh sort of like jigsaw's dark humor that oh, this guy that Rig has been hunting for and he's obsessing over finding him and trying to save him is the one that ends up killing him, right? By shooting him through the door when he shows up at the end of the film. Um, and that's, and I understand why Matthews is the drive for Rig in a lot of ways, right? This idea, oh, he is alive. I find out after six months he is alive and that's my drive to find him and this is the drive of the film. But he is so easily replaceable with Carrie instead of him yes. that... It's one of those things where I was like, why even have him in the movie? And yeah. it's one of those things that it it kind of just felt very pointless or it felt like they were sort of grasping grasping at straws to uh, to connect this with the third film. Well, so to your point right there, right? This is where, like, I think that transition of writers starts to make a big impact because... There's a number of storylines, one being the fact that Detective Matthews and uh, uh, Dina Meyer's character, uh, Allison Carey, they had an affair, never gets brought up again. She dies. Eric Matthews doesn't know, right? So, like, that whole relationship was really pointless to what this movie is, like, yeah. the franchise is. Mm -hmm. And again, to your point, it could have been reversed easily and that there's more actual drive, but... This also brings us up, uh, and I, I want to give you, you know, I, I'd rather you've mentioned it because you, you brought this up uh, before we talk, but the idea that, like, Jeff is in this movie for two seconds and, yeah, his child, like, I'll, I'll let you take it, but... Yeah, yeah, no, so that's something that we were both talking about uh, before recording was this idea that the third film, and, and again, it's very evident that they were not expecting to continue with this series or certain creatives were like, I'm going to take a step back, but then they came back because it's like, hey man, these movies basically shit buckets of gold. There's no way we're going to stop these. But yeah, so the setup at the end of Saw 3 is essentially like, hey, Jeff is in a new game and the right. prize at the end of the game is that he gets to save his daughter who he clearly has been neglecting over his obsession with finding his son's killer and bringing him to justice. And yet, the big twist being that, they that Jeff gets killed at the during uh well no so at the end of the third film if the scene that ends in that movie plays for another 30 seconds jeff gets killed by one of the agents that shows up basically to try to again another agent that shows up to hunt down jigsaw peter strom um who we can get more into him in a minute but it's one of those things where they kill jeff and then they abandon his daughter's storyline. So is his daughter just dead now? Is she, was she ever kidnapped? It's one of those things where there definitely are certain little plot points, or in that case, maybe a big plot point where it's mm -hmm. like, did they forget or was it just too much to try to work that in in a way? Because 
They even did that in Saw 3 where he's talking about how the guy that killed his son is a, was a drunk driver or something. And then the guy ended up just being like a medical student who wasn't drunk. And they kind of just like abandoned that plot line. So there's definitely some inconsistencies, but so yeah, it's one of those things where they definitely sort of just like were cutting and pasting certain things and certain things didn't make the cut or they weren't as maybe finite or as imperative to the narrative uh, moving forwards. But I guess, well, now in talking about it, like I said, I liked the idea that Rig was going to be the protagonist, right? The guy, uh, basically a minor leaguer that gets brought up to the majors and he gets to become a protagonist. But they essentially just did Danny Glover's character from the original Saw in a lot of ways, right? This idea that yeah. it's another cop that his obsession with this case in Jigsaw is destroying him. And mm -hmm. that obsession will cost him greatly. And I mean, his game, like Danny Glover's character didn't have a game tied around him in the original Saw. And this time Rig does. But the entire identity of Rig then is that his obsession will cost him greatly. And this entire game is to teach him you can't save everybody. And I think mm -hmm. that's an interesting element that I don't know they lean into it enough. It's one of those things where I think this is where that sort of jigsaw methodology ideology is a, is kind of run through the weeds in a little bit of a way because it's kind of like, I guess this is where the nastiness comes from right now that it's kind of like, yeah, it's more of a cruel joke than really a growing, than really a growing opportunity when there's nothing that is introduced that would push him to not continue down the rabbit hole of obsession. I think that's an element that they could have developed a little better. I would agree with you. And I, can we also agree that the, the FBI agents or whatever <laughs> police, this, a lot of these guys are fucking stupid. Like they just <laughs> completely go against what jigsaws gate. Like, it's not like these are people that don't know what Jigsaw, who Jigsaw is and like right. his methodology on this stuff. If you follow what he says, like he said, if you don't save, if you don't like find them within 90 minutes, they will survive or something akin to that. Right. Um, if the, in the previous movie or the, uh, Detective Matthews, if you stay with me for this, you know, 60 minutes or whatever your son will be found in a safe and secure spot he was right next to him right in that uh, little box i mean dina meyer's character we can just keep going on and on it just seems like consistently they they keep going against what they actually are told to do because it's the human instinct so that makes sense mm -hmm. that's the thing that starts to annoy me though after a while is like detective perez mm -hmm. where um uh Billy, the the clown or the uh, doll, like yep. Jigsaw's doll, comes out on that bike. Says like, you know, uh, you know, the next move that you make is gonna be one of the most important in your life, or something like that. And then he starts laughing. She moves into his face for whatever reason, and then it explodes, <laughs> shards out. Right? right. No, but how are you gonna do that? How right. like you yeah. already saw a crime scene. Um, that that police person that was in there got shot with like what was that a, a bow and arrow like or a what spear or something yes. yeah 20 minutes ago now you're gonna put your head right in front of a doll that's live why would you do that listen so, man this one city does not have a bomb squad anywhere they just they, they don't use bomb squads they don't believe in bomb squads they don't believe in any of that but so yeah the like that point aside right again we have to look over some of the more ridiculous aspects of this I, I will say for a fourth movie again, it isn't bad. Um, and as we get to the ending of this, uh, as we've kind of alluded to a little bit, 
it does very much point as everyone knows in 2021 there's a number of different saws that come after this but the new jigsaw i think i think it's pretty evident towards the end who it is um there's just there's way too many coincidences that happen right did you like i mean you i don't think you said you you watched this movie previously correct right so this is the well three and four I had never seen before. So yeah. So moving forwards, the only other one that I had seen previously was Jigsaw, which I think is the most recent one before Spiral. Yes. So was there a particular scene that you realized who the next Jigsaw was? This is the thing. Like I didn't have this spoiled for me, but I knew that he was involved in the last film when they had that murder scene or trap scene where there it's uh, I forget what the guy's name was, but I think it was Torque maybe or something. He had the hooks through him, right? And then if he can't get out of the room in a certain amount of time, a nail bomb will go off. But then, oh, the door is sealed, so he could never escape. That guy. He's like playing with the evidence and then he's like staring at the hook and then it looks like he like puts it in his pocket or something. I was like, there's no way that he's not involved in some uh, capacity. So that just felt very sort of like deflating. I never was like, oh, holy shit, that's crazy. I never had that reveal. I was like, well, yeah, I kind of always assume that he's he's shifty. He brings nothing to the table in terms of being a detective other than I have a badge and a gun. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. about him that stands out. And not to say Detective Matthews and uh, Dina Myers Carey and Rig were like the most compelling kind of like Columbo detectives. They still like it was very clear why they were uh, protagonists. But this guy, he has like two lines of dialogue, but the camera lingers on him for like 30 seconds. And it's one of those things where I was like, okay, clearly this guy is sketchy and that's going to come up later. And so I felt vindicated in the fact that it was like, oh, yeah, he's the the accomplice because no shit he is. He always pops his head in. He says two sketchy things and then leaves. That's it. No, that's that's I think that's very, very accurate because when you go through the list of who it actually could be, like it's very clearly not Jill. Um, right. Amanda's dead. There's no way that it's rig Strom for all the things that he is, uh, as good of a detective he is, as he is, he's a fucking idiot. I never (laughs) believe that for a second, um, which may come into play in the next movie, but yeah, there just wasn't anybody else to your point of who it could be. Um, I remember, I remember watching the, like when I rewatched this a year, a year and a half ago, um, I remember that scene when he stands up from um, like the contraption that he was in mm-hmm. and Rig is like on the ground and he says that shitty game over. And I, <laughs> yeah. you both watched that this weekend and we had the same reaction of, oh, that's so fucking shitty. Like there, <laughs> there's certain quotes that I know that they need to be said and rehashed because it's a franchise, mm-hmm. but like they, maybe not that one. They could have came up with something creative or clever or something i mean jigsaw i feel like again he's not it's not exactly high fiction his character but he still has a way of delivering lines that is very iconic or he could have they could have came up with something that is at least original to him and so it makes sense when his sort of minions adopt that but i mean just game over they couldn't think of anything better than that like i get that it's all tied into this is a game life is a game but it's like there's just so little original about that, that every time it's uttered, it's like nails on a chalkboard. And it just brought that whole moment, that whole reveal to like a screeching halt more than I already thought it was when they tried to make it seem like that was this 
massive reveal that like, oh, it could never have been him. But at the same time, especially when they have that scene where they're like, well, it can't be a woman. So then I'm like, well, that's half the cast right there. So yeah. it's this idea that of the men that it could be, it's clearly not Rig. It's clearly not Strom because he's an idiot. And the only person that's left is some sketchy dude. So clearly it's going to be the sketchy guy. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's, I think that would reveal was definitely a letdown um, in a way that I guess to the point to the point we made earlier, this idea that would this be a film that would be a good jumping off point for people that wanted to get into Saw that for whatever reason didn't go back and watch the first three. Sure, because they're essentially recreating the first film, right? This idea, somebody that was in the game room essentially the whole time was actually like an imposter, right? They weren't a victim. They were the orchestrator. So they are kind of redoing the ending of the first film in that regard, which if you haven't seen one through three, I guess that moment has a bigger oh shit factor to it. Yeah. But yeah, for people that have been watching these movies, I really can't imagine going into this and not thinking that it's him just because of how sort of blatant they were with it, with a lot of the implications. Yeah. And I think also the fact that he's the person that's listening to that, like when uh, Jigsaw's uh, Jigsaw's autopsy happens and they find the recording, why is that not in like a police station where they're like, holy shit, like we found it right. It's just one guy. Like uh, that in itself kind of, made me a little bit uh, throw up some question marks, so to speak. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, so would you say that this is a, is this a B plus? Is this a C? I don't, you know, it's probably one of my least favorite. It probably is my least favorite of the Saw movies, but mm-hmm. at the same, at, so far that I've seen, right? It's of the right. first three that we saw, it's definitely my least favorite. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that in terms of like within the context of Saw that it's bad, Yeah, which is a very like loaded thing to say. But at the same time, I don't know. I think it's disappointing for sure, but it's not abysmal like I've been assuming. You know what I mean? I keep going and moving forward just because of all the things that I've heard. I've heard that they're they get pretty fucking awful moving forwards, a couple of them. But this was by far leaps and bounds above what I thought it would be. I just was not expecting it to be as sort of just well put together, even if those parts are not well fleshed out in a lot of ways. I think all the traps in this are pretty garbage, to be honest, mm-hmm. with the exception of the the very first one, right? Where it's those two guys in the mausoleum and they basically are chained together, but in the middle of the room, there's a winch. And then one of them is has his eyes sewn shut. One of them has his mouth sewn shut. So then they kind of like have to either work together. They have to try and free one another or just one of them themselves, which I guess the creativity was probably the most out of any of the traps. But at the same time, there's no morality tied to that trap. And that would be an example of one of the more perhaps sort of just like nasty, nasty traps. There's no real moral to the story because there's no way for them to really communicate if one of them has his eyes shut and one of them's got his mouth open just based on the logistics of that trap. But yeah, I don't know. I think that this is my least favorite so far. It also doesn't make me less eager to watch the fifth one. So it's, it's a weird, that's a really weird and long winded way of saying 
it's not good, but it's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. What did you think? You, by the way, you just made me think of a really important point. I don't think we mentioned. We have no fucking idea why Art Blank, the lawyer who's has his mouth shut, sewn shut at in that scene that you're referring to, and then during like Riggs's hunt to find uh, Eric Matthews and uh, Mark Hoffman, he, Art Blank is the one that's like holding right. them, whatever you'd call yeah. them, you know, looking over them. We have no fucking idea how he got there, why, right? Like, we see at the end he has some sort of an instrument on his back. Yeah, so I'm, if the timer goes off and he's still wearing that, it'll sever his spine, I guess. But why? So he went through, he he got through that opening scene, which, by the way, really dumb because at the end of it, he literally rips open his mouth and he yells and it's like, if you did that, you would have saved that guy instead of having to beat his head in. But sidestepping that again, like to your point about the story and the narrative, like that's a big hole that we don't necessarily fill. And then my skepticism hat goes, well, why the fuck is he a part of that? And does he have a different part to play that we're not necessarily aware of? So, you I, know, I, I probably missed, there's probably a reason, but I definitely missed it if there was. I assumed it was that he had that dealing with Jigsaw at some, or he had with John Kramer at some mm -hmm. point when they were, he was his lawyer, I believe. But then they have that spat. And I assume that that is viewed as like an insult. So then he decided, oh, I'll target this guy and I'll make him part of my game. That's the mm -hmm. assumption that I had. Maybe I missed um, a more concrete explanation for that, but... At that point, it's kind of like it's it it actually became comical when we found out it was him because then it's like, okay, they are so committed to layering everything together and connecting everything that every single person we meet is probably playing their own game now, right? And yeah. it just speaks to this idea that like, oh well, everybody every there's the reason that for whatever somebody's doing, whether you understand it or not, the reason for what they're doing is because they're in a game. That's just how it works now from now on. Anybody does anything that is somewhat suspect or strange or weird they are playing a game of some sort which is kind of like satirical almost at this point like it's a game within a game within a game within a game this like it's a twist within a twist of M. Night Shyamalan or something but it's one of those things where that is definitely one of the looser ends I think to this narrative which Saw 3 is an indication that hey we are not going to we are going to sort of make these branches narratively speaking and then we might just lop them the fuck off within 10 seconds of the film that precedes it um which doesn't make me super optimistic about like continuing narratives in this series moving forwards but at the same time there's the potential for hey they made it work with saw three in a way that's interesting and now that we can get into the uh, finale of saw four and the twist which we briefly mentioned earlier I mean, how do you think that they really handle the twist in this? Do you think it works as well as it has in the past? Do you find it to be satisfying? Yeah, not really, because, <laughs> I mean, everything that, like, it literally says final test on the door when Rig bursts through it. At the very beginning, Mark Hoffman tells, Detective Hoffman, uh, rather, tells Rig that, um, you know, how can you be going through... Um, doors that are like unsecured it's literally a call back to that right uh his wife tells him you can't save any everyone that's literally on the record like 
it was just so many callbacks and stuff like that where it's like we get it right like reverse <laughs> callbacks like right. beating you over the head with it it's just i don't think we gave a shit about detective matthews or hoffman so there wasn't really like you care uh, as silly as it is to say um but like you cared about uh, Lee Whannell's character and uh, Dr. Gordon, right? In the first movie, you didn't want the kid to die or to get hurt um, in the second movie, uh, Detective Matthews' son, because of the sins of his father, right? There's an innate, you give some shit about those characters. In this movie, again, I just, I don't think anyone really cares that Donnie Wahlberg exists in this and that Eric Matthews, right? Like, so whatever Eric Matthews says, it doesn't matter rig isn't necessarily the most lovable character either like you obviously root for him but this whole movie is completely gone if he's just like yeah you know what i am going to take the weekend and go hang out with my wife <laughs> right it's just it's completely it's not, it doesn't exist so um no one gives a shit about jeff that that story that's i mean we find out necessarily what happens to jeff right but did anyone actually care that that was a storyline 40 minutes into this movie because everyone forgets about it? So like, I don't know, there, there's, again, there's a lot of pros to this movie, but overall, I think the way that they wrap it up at the end is as good as it could have been. But um, there's no, again, as we start to go further and further into this movie, I think the audience is more, is further uh, emotionally away from the characters that are in there. And it's just more entertainment factor at this point. Yeah. And I definitely agree that they had a sound like it, this is the best possible execution that they could have for what they had, I suppose. But it just kind of reveals the shortcomings of this idea that if Jeff's character had been introduced earlier on, and if he had been more of a part of like his storyline had been interwoven with Riggs in a way that was more prevalent, then that twist that like has meaning. Otherwise, I don't really give a shit because now I'm almost assuming, right? Because this is coming back to sort of the, the recurring formulaic nature of these movies, right? This idea that we know there's going to be a twist and they have already fucked around with the timeline with Saw 3 in a way. And now to find out that the timeline of Saw 4 takes place concurrently with the events of Saw 3. So the two films are overlapping right up until the end of the movie. And we kind of realize that, oh, the tape that Hoffman's listening to, that autopsy takes place, even though the scene is at the beginning of the movie, it's occurring at the very end of the events of Saw 4. At that point, it's just like, well, this is all so messy and I don't necessarily care about any of these characters that it's just not as compelling as I think they thought it would be. Um, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel earned. It feels like they're kind of reusing something that they did in a previous movie and they're kind of like slam editing it together in a way that does not feel well thought out. It feels like they, again, they ran to the finish line essentially um, in sort of bringing all of these things together that, again, it I don't necessarily think it's a terrible ending, but it lacks a lot of the uh, investment and a lot of the sort of like oomph factor that it should just because it is so predictable and it is so underwhelming in the that the things that are happening to these characters are characters we don't necessarily care about in a great deal. And while uh, our are rooting for Detective Matthews in Saw 2 and Saw 3 to a certain extent. That was very manipulative in a lot of ways, right? You don't want the kids, as you so put it, uh, you don't want the son to die due to the uh, sins of the father. 
in a lot of ways. So like that's kind of manipulative in the sense that it's like, yeah, of course you don't want Detective Matthew's son to die. So in fact, we are rooting for this guy that is basically an asshole and there's no real other reason to like him. But yeah, I the ending did not do nearly as much for me as uh, I thought it was. It's unfortunate because again, I thought that that had the potential to really make for a compelling reason to want to see Saw 5. Uh, obviously, we're st- still going to. That's not my uh, what I was getting at. But the idea that, like, if I was seeing this in the theater and I didn't know that, oh, they've already greenlit probably a Saw 5 while I'm watching the credits for the previous film, uh, would I really be compelled to? Would I give a shit about any of these characters to the point where I'm like, oh, I have to see what happens to Detective or Agent Strom? Like, do I give a fuck? No, I don't give a shit about his character. He's an asshole random guy that just kind of shows up and doesn't contribute much. Uh, whereas at least with Saw 3, we were invested enough with Jeff. We've got that kind of awesome ending where it's this playing around the timeline. And then, oh, essentially we're being manipulated again into caring about him more. Jigsaw's dead, but the game continues and he has to go save his daughter. That yeah. would have been enough to get me to go see Saw 4 in the theater. But I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody that just sat through Saw 4 in the theater and do I feel compelled to go watch Saw 5? The answer is probably no. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. And again, I think this is definitely an inflection point in the series. I don't know how Spiral is, um, but it's pretty safe to say that we're we're on the decline of the <laughs> You the really quality. get me excited to watch 5, 6, 7, and <laughs> 8, I think is the one. But 8 and 9, yeah. 8 and 9. It's not a good movie, but at the same time, it's not an abysmal sequel that I was expecting. I think it's a just it's barely, four. yeah, it's saw four. That's the best way to put it. It's saw four. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, it was nice getting to hang out and watch that with you this weekend and even better to chop it up as usual. But man, this has been, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Even if the quality of this last one was, uh, was not necessarily to our liking, but as always, man, it's a blast dissecting the saw saw universe with you. And uh, I look forward to chatting about saw five in the future. I, I echo that very much, and um, I would be remiss if I didn't th- do this once during our uh, our recordings of this, but game over. You get to do that once, and that's it. Never again. Oh. You, delivered that, <laughs> you delivered that about as with as much enthusiasm as uh, Costas Mandalore did, so I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you doing that, and uh, I appreciate you coming on, and I look forward to talking with you next week about Saw 5. Appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.